0: From Gimlet Media, I'm Alex Bloomberg, and this is Without Fail, the show where I talk with entrepreneurs, artists, athletes, visionaries of all kinds about their successes and their failures, and what they've learned from both. Hello. Hello. Hey. My guest today is someone I'm so excited to talk to. Ira Glass, the host of the radio show and podcast, This American Life.
1: So now you need the right. session to be a 24-bit. Yeah. 44?
0: Yes, please. We were talking to him at our studios right, in Brooklyn, now. and he was recording himself in his own studio in Manhattan. Uh, where will I put this location? This is the only interview I've ever done so far where the where the, where the the guest is setting their own Pro Tools um, bitrate.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's how I roll, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hold on. Okay. Okay, i that. We're not recording this. Okay, hold on to...
0: You're not recording this?
1: Well, I'm, because I'm setting up the session. Oh, the damn it. I hope t- you're recording it. Ira with Alex. Ira,
0: always be recording. It's a lesson you told me.
1: Well, I can't be recording until I create the <laughs> session.
0: <laughs> okay, wait, hold on. Fortunately, Ford, we got you on the record,
1: phone. Record 24-bit <laughs> Okay,
0: boom. Okay, I'm recording. Great. That's going to be magic. Ira Glass is my old boss. I worked for him on and off for almost 20 years, from 1997 to 2014. And there is no doubt that you are hearing my voice right now because of Ira. He taught me practically everything I know about audio. From writing the script that I'm reading to you right now, to choosing tape, like the piece of tape that I played to open the show, to just how to talk on the radio, how to use my voice in the way that I'm doing right now. The company bringing you this podcast, which I host, and many others which I do not, I co-founded Gimlet in large part to spread all that I had learned from Ira. Most of you probably know the show Ira founded and hosts, This American Life. It's one of the most influential and longest-running shows on public radio, one of the biggest podcasts in existence. I joined the show in 1997 as an administrative assistant. I was in my early 30s and had spent the previous decade bouncing from career to career, looking for something I felt passionate about. I landed at This American Life by a random fluke and fell immediately in love fell in love with audio, and fell in love with the kind of storytelling that This American Life was doing. And when I co-founded Gimlet, most of what I knew about being a boss, I'd also learned, consciously or unconsciously, from Ira. Ira was a constant presence. And sitting down to prep for this interview, in the way that Ira taught me, I realized I'd never actually told him any of this, or talked to him about our parallel experiences starting and running organizations. In fact, despite all the time we'd spent together, there was a lot about him I didn't know, and just one small warning before we continue: the F word appears a couple of times during the course of this interview, but never in an angry way. You ready to go?
1: Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Ready? Are you nervous? No, I'm I wasn't nervous. Until you
1: asked me if I was nervous. <laughs> Wait, why do we have to be nervous? We've known each other for like twenty
0: years. I know, but I I, I don't know. I, you've interviewed you've interviewed a lot of people, and now I'm interviewing you.
1: Um, you have also interviewed a lot of people. That's true. No, if I were interviewing point. you, I would be very nervous. Actually, if I were interviewing you, I would be nervous. Would you? How come? Yeah, I get nervous before a lot of interviews. Still? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be- well, nervous means um, you want to win. Like nervous means you're like, you're 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 reaching high. Uh-huh. Like so. No, I get I get nervous, but also I'm a little scared that other people will be offended at me slash, you know, I'll just mess it up. Right so
0: okay um, one of the things that I'm excited about is like I, I've known you now for two decades uh, you were at my wedding I was at your wedding uh, I've, you've, you taught me pretty much everything I know about radio um, but there's a bunch of these questions I was look, looking over this prep and like a lot of these questions I don't know the answers to I've never actually asked you about them Which is exciting. Wow. So, but, but very, starting at the very beginning, why, why did you get into radio in the very first
1: place? I've heard a lot of other stories, but
0: I don't actually know how you first got in.
1: I mean, it really was like a fluke. Like, I had no special interest in radio at all. And uh, when I was in high school in Baltimore uh, on WFBR, uh, uh, an AM station, there was a, there was kind of like a proto shock jock named Johnny Walker. Uh, who did this uh, show in the morning that a lot of Baltimore listened to and, and teenage boys in the suburbs definitely listened to. And he was kind of crude. He was very funny. He 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 would have like a kind of a laugh track and music track going the whole show. Mm-hmm. And the summer before my senior year of high school, I wrote to him, because I was such a fan, and I sent him a couple of pages of jokes mm-hmm. to do, because he'd do, like, the Johnny Walker little news of the morning, and he would do bits throughout the show, kind of like the bits that, like, Johnny Carson would do, like, in, bet- right. in between guests and stuff. And um, and so I sent him a set of jokes, and then he, he uh, called me on the phone, which was the most incredible thing what? that ever <laughs> happened to me, like, that a person— from the radio called me on the phone and it was just like it was crazy it was mind-bending and he was a super sweet guy and he said um that he liked the jokes and he says why don't you come over and let's like let's meet and uh he said i'll send my man for you and then he had a limo and i had never been in a limo that's so classy. Uh, it's so like, and honestly, it was like another 20 years before I was ever in a limo. Like I thought like radio is amazing. <laughs> and, um, so he sent a limo. And then I only realized like much later, the reason why he had a driver in a limo uh, is because of so many DUIs. He had lost his driver's license. Oh. I mean, his name in the air was Johnny Walker. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> right. so, um, it's sort of a giveaway, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. His real name is Jim Embry, and he was a really wonderful <laughs> man. And every day during the summer before my senior year of high school, I would drive down at like 6 in the morning to WFBR uh, in the Plymouth satellite that would have been my grandma Frida's, but then became uh, my sister's in uh-huh. mine. And uh, and dropped off some jokes and would watch him do his show for a little while, which was so glamorous. And uh, sometimes, like, he'd order in, like, you know, McDonald's hash browns for us wow. or something. And then some of the jokes he would use, some he wouldn't. It was crazy uh, when he would use them. I remember that my dad once quoted me a joke that one of his clients told uh-huh. him that he heard on Johnny Walker that I had <gasps> written. I was like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm getting somewhere. It was amazing. And then, and then when I went off to college at the end of that year, after my senior year, I went off to Northwestern and he said, do you want to make a demo tape to get on their radio station? He says, I will help you. And I was so sure that I would never be on the air and was so embarrassed at the thought of sitting down in front of him, in front of a microphone, I turned him down. Like I thanked him so much. He's like, no, no, seriously, I will help you do this. And I was like, no, 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 really, I don't think that that's how I'm— go- that's not That's not where I'm going. So, no, I didn't picture myself as being on the air. And then when I got to Northwestern, they had a, like a beat-up old radio station in the basement of uh, of one of the halls. And uh, and I got kind of—I got a shift kind of in the— like one of those middle of the night, you know, you know, two or three hours, one night a week. And then I made promos for the radio station. And the promos were all very corny. They're all— Imitation. This is what a radio nerd I am. They were all imitations of Dick Orkin and Burt Burdus. Dick Orkin did Chicken Man. Oh, Chicken Man of. was
0: that that weird sort of like long running cult radio classic. There was sort of like this ironic take on the on the superhero genre, where the, the main character played a, a, a superhero named named Chicken Man.
1: Yeah, but like, and I could say so much about Chicken Man. Like, Chicken Man had this kind of deadpan humor, and uh, and and as as you'll hear. Like, like, so so. Let, let's play a clip of Chicken Man right okay. here. Commissioner. Yes, I am. It's the mayor calling. How you doing, King? This is Miss Hellfinger, your secretary. Well, make up your mind. The king is on the phone. He'd like your report on crime and or evil. No, tell the king crime is up, evil is down. Is that possible? How about crime is down, evil is up? That's going to be your report? Mm? That's how it's going? Yes, it's going good. Crime is going good? Probably going to be one of our best years. <laughs> and, and the thing I would noti- have you noticed about this is is just like the incredible deadpan. Like he just invented this deadpan style. It's so good. Like, like there's a part in 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 this in this particular one, the guy playing the 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 man on the street, where he walks up and he says, "Like, are you a hardened criminal?" He, the guy, the criminal, delivers his line in the most perfect possible way you could possibly deliver it. It's so understated. Pardon me, sir. Yeah, are you by chance a vicious criminal? Uh huh. Fine. Would you take a look at this costume I'm wearing? Yeah. Do you feel anything strange? Uh. Anything at all? Uh, yeah. And then, so that's Chicken Man, um, done by like a true radio genius. Okay. And then this is me knocking off what I thought was knocking off that sound. This is a promo that I did. This might be the actual very first thirty seconds of anything that I ever made. This promo. Uh-huh. I, it really might be. Okay. Um, and, and what it is it's a promo for WNUR and the thing that WNUR is tell you Northwestern is that radio station that I used to listen to when I was Northwestern started. radio yeah. station and I'm in the promo I'm playing the kid okay
0: daddy I'm bored eat
1: your truffles child now, I don't mean to intrude on your meal sir but I have a question you want me to entertain your question if you don't entertain my question sir I'll have to look for entertainment on street corners I want to go to street corners daddy quiet child Dinner, sir? Uh, No, thank you, sir. What's your radio station, sir? For music, I go to the Chicago Symphony. Caviar, perhaps? Schulty. It's not so bad if you use good crackers. Daddy, I'm going crackers. If you love classical music, why don't you listen to WNUR? It's rare radio programming. That's a shame. If it were well done, we'd be able to get away with white wine. And it's intelligent programming, so the newcomer can listen along with the classical sophisticate. Daddy, can we listen together? Classical music on WNUR can save your family. Sunday, 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. on 89FM. No more rock for me. An occasional perch would be nice, though. Oh. What's notable about my entire early radio career is that none of it involves journalism. <laughs> I just realized this just recently, is that, like, I had no—I didn't know anything about reporting, journalism. I knew nothing. And, you were just—you
0: um, were just out—you were just—like, it sounds like you were on the career I, of, like, being, like, a
1: stand-up
0: or, like, being, like, a, like sort of working at the Howard Stern Show or something like—like, mm-hmm, like, you yeah. just wanted—you
1: were just, like, you were all about mm-hmm. entertainment, I was about entertainment. I thought I just wanted to make stuff that was like funny and good and like, I don't know, but I didn't have that much talent. So,
0: so that was what you were doing. How did you, how did you then, how did you fall into journalism? In
1: yeah. That's again, it was just like really, um, what happened was that after my freshman year at Northwestern, I had this like little packet of promos, pretty corny ones, um, that then i I was just looking for some job, went back to Baltimore for the summer. Somebody at the one of the rock stations in Baltimore knew someone at NPR, okay and said, "Why don't you call this guy? You know, like he's at this new outfit called NPR and it really was new. This is like nineteen seventy eight This is how old I am. NPR had only been in the air for like four six years. Oh wow. I had never heard of NPR so, right, or heard them on the air, but nobody had right like like it was so new. And how? And then, how and did then you, what did you do? Did you just show show up at the? Like, I was in the promos. I was in the promos department, and like, and there was one producer on staff in NPR whose job, incredibly, was to invent new ways to do radio. Oh. and his name was Keith Talbot, and I did a promo for a show that Keith did called New York City: The Grand Tour. And the reason why I have my job now is because I just imitated the sound. Each of his shows would have its own aesthetic, mm-hmm. its own sound aesthetic, its own sound design, and I basically just imitated the sound of the show in the promo and he's like well no nobody on staff at npr who's doing promos had the time to like actually listen to all of his raw tape and think about what he was making and actually imitate it right right like i i could only do that because i was the intern like i had all the time in the world and i made a really beautiful promo that totally sounded exactly like the show and felt just like the show and and he totally noticed and he's like who are you and he hired me as his production assistant and it was an actual paid job the following summer i feel like half of everything i know about radio i learned from keith and 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 the other half i learned from other people or or figured out on my own mm-hmm. and but like so much of it was keith without keith i wouldn't be here right and um and uh and and like absolutely not i wouldn't be in radio um uh, yeah it was a really lucky break getting to work for him and and he was like a real like just such such an interesting thinker. I mean, it's funny that after he left the public radio, the thing he created next was uh, was the new Mouseketeers for Disney. Like like <laughs> Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, like worked on the show that he created. Like that's no Keith idea. Talbot. So the same yeah. person
0: who launched you launched, launched Justin Timberlake and Christina Aguilera. Absolutely, yeah. Coming up after this word from our sponsors, how Ira launched this American life, and also rage as a management tool. By the way, how to write an intriguing forward promo, something that makes you want to stick around through the commercial break. I also learned that from Ira. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back to Without Fail and my conversation with Ira Glass, creator and host of This American Life and my former boss. So one of the things I learned working with Ira, perhaps his greatest trait, was his crazy internal motivation. The word visionary gets bandied about a lot, but Ira is one of the few people I'd actually call one. After working for Keith Talbot, Ira bounced around NPR. He became a producer for All Things Considered and then a reporter. But unlike almost anyone else who gets a career and starts rising through the ranks, Ira maintained this internal drive to do his own thing to create this kind of sound, to do a kind of work that he and he alone wanted to do. And so, in addition to his regular job of being a reporter on NPR, he'd assign himself little extra tasks, sort of like extra credit work. So, for example, every story he reported, he would have his own internal rule to have what's called a tape-to-tape transition, go from one voice in the story to another voice in the story without any narration in between, just because stylistically he liked it. Or he would have another rule where he had to have one moment in every story that he did that was there just because he alone loved it. It was just for him. And then he'd also do these projects on the side as well. So he had this show he'd do every Friday night on the local public radio station in Chicago called The Wild Room that he did with a partner, Gary Covino. And that's where he was experimenting with a lot of the things that would become this American life. And during all this time, he applied for a grant from the MacArthur Foundation to start his own radio show. The show that became This American Life. It aired for the first time in November of 1995. Here's what that first episode sounded like.
1: Hey, Franklin. I'm ready. It's Ira Glass here. Oh, uh, you're the MC on the show, Ira. I am the MC on oh, the show, yes. Oh, great. Ira? Ira. 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 Oh, great. Now, hold on one second, Ira. Don't, don't go there. Well, you know what? great thing about starting a new show is utter anonymity. <laughs> Nobody really knows what to expect from you. This interviewee did not know us from Adam. Okay, well, what? About a minute. We're one minute five into the new show right now. It is stretching in front of us a perfect future yet to be fulfilled. An uncharted little world, a little baby coming into the world, no little scars in order or anything.
0: So how did it do in the beginning? Did did a lot of people listen?
1: Well, our business goal was to get onto 60 stations in, I can't remember if it's two years or three years. And, And we did way better than that. Like we were on like 110 stations in one year. Basically, with public radio shows, the way that the the way that the thing worked was that you had to talk each station individually into picking up your show. Public radio is radically decentralized right. in a great way. So there's no network boss to say, like, everybody's gonna run this show Fridays at seven o'clock. It's not like NBC. Uh-huh. It's like every station gets to choose for itself what it wants to run and when it wants to run it, which means that anybody can get on the air if you can just talk people into it. And but you do have to like individually talk them into it. And so we would we had a couple things going for us. One is like we would send up postcards to all the program directors. And basically, if you would pick up our show, we would send you a snickers bar. That was one of our things. <laughs> and then the other thing we said is like, don't pick up the show because we are trying to reinvent radio. Do it because we will make you money. And that was our pitch to stations is that is that we will raise you so much money during the pledge drive uh, because we would do these little like three minute pledge drive modules. In the pledge modules, I would say, I'm Ira Glass, I'm hosted this new show called This American Life, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, we're on this station, and like, you know, and then I would go into some bit. I mean, I could, we could play one of the bits if you want. I'm Ira Glass of This American Life, and ratings information indicates that nine out of ten of you, now hearing the sound of my voice, nine out of ten of you don't ever give money to this radio station, even though you listen all the time. It's a very, very good, you have a very good thing going. And I called the phone company out here. The phone company is called Ameritech and tried to get the deal. Let me tell you why I'm calling. Okay. What I'd like to set up is is something where I get 10 phone accounts, but nine of them are free. Nine of them are free? Yeah. Free? What do you mean free? Ameritech doesn't charge you? That's right. No, we're going to charge you. There's no way that we could do this so that we can get nine for free and we'll pay for one. Well, let me make sure I, under, I Let me make sure I understand your question. You want to get ten phone lines, and you want nine of them free. That's exactly right. No. No. Not with Ameritech, we would have to. Build and U- like you know, WBUR in Boston, I remember like would run one of these modules. And they would make thirty five thousand dollars in you know in eight minutes in drive time, uh-huh. and like that was crazy. It was crazy money back then, right? And and even now, yeah. and uh, and we had testimonials from program directors saying like, get those pledge modules, you make money. And people would call us up for the pledge modules, and we would be like, you got to take the show. <laughs> <laughs> how did you how did you come up with that idea? I came up with that idea out of business necessity because it was explained to me that. Um, you have to offer the show to stations for free uh-huh. uh, initially because everybody's giving them stuff for free to get them to play it. And the right. idea is you get them to play it for free and then after a year or two, you start to charge them. And I was told, once you start to charge them, you're going to lose 15% of your stations. I was like, we're not going to be the kind of show that can afford to lose 15% of our stations. So we have to make it so they don't want to drop us. And so the way we're going to make it so they don't drop us is that we're going to make them make so much money off us? They'll keep us on the air, uh-huh. not realizing that this was like the Achilles heel of the public radio system. If you can get, if you can make them pledge modules where they make money, everybody will put you on. It's like it's like cigarettes in prison. Yeah, <laughs> the whole system runs on pledge modules. <laughs> that 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 would have been a good slogan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like like because because the because st- most of the shows don't give them good pledge drive material, and so if you could do something that's new and that's funny and that like that like makes the phones light up, yeah, like that was how we got on the air. And I have to say, like, I am very much for that. And I, I feel like if you're making an art project or if you're making anything, I feel like the more idealistic you are, the more cunning you have to be about the business side of it. I have to say. Like, I feel very proud of the business side of our show. I was very serious about it, and I wanted it to be right. I wanted to do it in the way that would absolutely maximize our chances. And the fact is, there's nothing more common than a really great idea um, or a really great art project that just never ends up working as a business, you know, like that never survives because it can't make the business side of it work. And I was like, we are not going to fail on business terms. Like we're going to win on business terms. Like we're going to do everything we can. And so the pledge spots turned out to be like a hugely important thing for us. And and I and I was not ashamed to say to stations, we will make you money. Like I was proud we could make money. Like and also the pledge drive was a really interesting. Can I just say, like as a, as a radio producer, a super macho test of skill, <laughs> because you have everything going against you, right? right? Like nobody wants to hear a word you're saying. They know you're asking for money. They don't want to give money. They don't want to listen to the pledge drive at all. And so you're up against everything. And then you want to get them to give you money. I feel like everything I know about radio. And I say this. Insincerity. Like everything I know about how to make radio, I put into those pledge spots. And it was really fun to like they made me excited to win. and and like, and I would do them live on the air on w b e z. Before I would send them out to stations, so I knew they worked. And doing them live, you really do see the phones light up. It's like the most immediate. Most radio, you know, you go into the studio and you record your thing, and you send it out, and then you check Twitter all weekend, and nobody says anything about you, and you just feel like fuck everybody. <laughs> but this, you know, you say, <laughs> you know, you say something, and like phones light up, and people hand you the money. The phones it's really like, do it's light like, up. It's <laughs> like being a waitress. It's like being a you know what I mean. Just like it's like it's the most wonderful feeling. <laughs> the most wonderful feeling. <laughs> yeah. So
0: when you, so you you started the show and it was like, and it was, it was up and running and you're getting on all these public radio stations. And so by the time I joined, I think I started in 1997, I remember joining the show and, and like, I remember two, two things sort of stand out. One, just how fucking exciting it was. Like, I was like, I had these two part-time jobs and the one part-time job I was, I was in graduate school and I was working at this like land use um, planning commission <laughs> <laughs> and I would go to those meetings, and then I was the administrative assistant. I didn't have a, like a, I didn't have an editorial role, but at I would, this American Life, you were the administrative. At at this American yeah, Life I was yeah, the administrative yeah. assistant, but you would let me sit down in on the editorial meetings, and uh, and um, it was just like so electric and exciting to just be part of that those conversations. And it was just like there was just like this energy, and then there was also the other thing, which was like nobody ever stopped working. The hours were, like, in, insane. And I, what, like, outside, like, what was your f- feeling about that at the time?
1: I mean, I just accepted that that's the way it was. Um, I mean, I remember one night, like, a year or two in, lying in bed, thinking... <laughs> Wait, I signed up for this for how long? Like, wait, it just, this is just like indefinite. Like this is the rest of my life. <laughs> what was What was your daily schedule like at that at that point? The way I remember it, like is that pretty much any moment that I was awake, I was working. Um, because if you think about it, it was it was four of us, you know, turning out turning out the show. And uh, you know, doing a job that now like a dozen of us do. Right. And a dozen way of us <laughs> who we are way more experienced at it too. Yeah. And and so how did I see it? Like, like I, I really just accepted this is what it would take. You know, I just I was excited and I wanted to make this thing that was kind of in my head and it wasn't clear it could be made. That's part of what made it kind of interesting. Uh-huh. You know, like it really, it wasn't clear that you could do this, that to make a show like this each week. Yeah, and uh and then it just seemed like we were just really understaffed, and in retrospect, like really, like not that well managed. Like I really, really learned how to be a boss until so long after that. Like and and I and I remember just you know I just, I mean it's funny like it only occurred to me years later how weird it was like it, like it really like it really only occurred to me like so long after that that other people's lives were so different. Julie Julie Snyder one of the show's very first pro- producers has
0: has a has a story about coming to interview um at this American life and uh showing up at like 4 and then you were like I'm I'm in the middle of an edit but like just sit here and I'll and I'll be with you in, a, in in a moment and then and then I think she was there until like 10 at night and then you and then you were like out of the edit. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. and it was just. I'm so sorry. No, no, but but it, it's not. And I, I remember the same thing. And I didn't. It didn't occur to me to necessarily question at the time because I was so hungry for uh, some meaningful work in my life. I, what I remember. One of the things I remember in the early days is just like how I was so excited to be learning. Basically, I was just going to the Iriglass School of Radio my whole first year as a producer. And so I would go out and mm-hmm. we would talk about like okay, you're going to go get this get this tape and I would go back I would go out and I would mess it up and I would like not get the right things and I would like talk all over the tape and I wouldn't have the moments and I wouldn't know which moments to pull so you'd dive into the tape with me and we'd pull the right moments and then I'd write a script and it was way too long and wordy and then you'd come in and we'd rewrite the script together and then by the end like I was like pretty much every word had been written by you, without necessarily me even knowing it, or I, certainly not caring. But, mm-hmm. but you had to. It was just like you had to do that for every everyone.
1: Yes. Yeah. For for a few years. What was that like for you? I mean, sometimes it was. I remember moments for sure where it was frustrating because I felt like, oh, wait a second, you don't have this part yet. I really, I really thought you had this part. You know, like I definitely yeah. remember moments of real anger. And I remember having to, like, just not get mad at people for not knowing something they don't know. I definitely remember that. It's so funny
0: because I remember telling myself, like, I remember I would be in an edit with you. And, you know, because you're, you're, you know, just working all the time and really, really trying and, like, doing all these things. And there's, like, so many things that go into making it good. So you do the 99 things and then there'd be one thing that you didn't get. Like, did, and you would always ask, did, did you ask him this? And then I'd be like, no, I didn't ask him that. And then, and it was, of course, the perfect follow up question. And then, um, and then you would, you would just sort of go silent and you would, wouldn't say anything. And I remember telling myself, oh, he's not mad. And she's just like, his face is blank. He seems really <laughs> mad, but I'm sure he's not mad. Like, why would he be mad at me? And then, and then I, Would and then years later I'd go on and I was like then I was like sort of like running Planet Money and I was doing the same thing. I was like training people who didn't know what they were doing. And I would ask the same question and they would be like, no, I didn't get that question. And I would do the same thing and I would be like, and I would I would just be so filled with rage. I was like, how could you not ask that stupid follow-up question? It's so fucking obvious. Why didn't you ask that question? And I would just have to make my face be completely blank. And then they were always wearing the same thing. And then I and, and I remember thinking like, oh, he
1: was mad. He was enraged because I'm enraged. <laughs> no, I was mad, and I'm sure I got mad too, and I'm sorry. Like, and it, like, It's like one of those things where you're mad, but you know you have no right to be mad. It's no, like I like being know. mad at a baby. You know, like you're <laughs> mad at a baby for crying. <laughs> As somebody who's had two babies, you get mad at babies.
0: <laughs> yeah. Coming up after the break, what I've learned from my mentor and what I need to unlearn. Welcome back to my conversation with Ira Glass, host and creator of This American Life and my former boss. It's hard to fully represent the impact This American Life has had on podcasting. It's helped define what a podcast is. So many of the most popular podcasts out there can trace their lineage directly back to This American Life. Serial, one of the biggest podcasts in existence, was created by two of my former colleagues at This American Life, Julie Snyder and Sarah Koenig. S Town, another huge podcast, was created by another producer, Brian Reed. And the list goes on and on. Invisibilia, Planet Money, all created by alums of This American Life. And then there are the shows that weren't started by This American Life alums, but are certainly influenced by This American Life. In the Dark, 99% Invisible, Slow Burn, it's hard to imagine those shows emerging if This American Life hadn't forged the way. But for Ira and his day-to-day life, not much has changed.
1: You know, maybe I shouldn't say this, but, like, I'm in a phase right now where I am still working all the time. Like, I was here till... I was here in the office till like 10.30 last night and 10.30 the night before, which was Sunday. I worked all day Sunday Um, because of just like, I don't know, just worry about this week's show and next week's show. And I don't know, like, like, and and there's so many weeks now we're still, and, and we just did like a run of shows where just like, for some reason, the stories just were not in the most ideal shape by the time they got to me, even though, like, other people are editing them before me, but just in, just because things happened late. And I have had phases where, like, I go home at night at 7 o'clock, or, you know, or 6 o'clock and have weekends off, but, like, for, for whatever reason, like, the last few months have not been that. Yeah. Um, and you're back yeah. in
0: sort of the early days kind of feeling of things.
1: Yeah, like, I have a lot of anxiety of... Uh, about like, wait, how are we going to make this good? Like, what are we going to do? Like, I don't know. And, and it's funny, like you're asking about the feeling of what it was like in like 1997. Like in a certain way, it doesn't feel that different. It's still that panic of like, what are we going to do that's going to be special? And how are we going to make it special? And is this good enough? And, you know, just um, it, like like it's different in so many ways. But 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 certain things, the, the basic feeling of it isn't isn't so different,
0: right? And I mean that that like so you 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 are still like sort of in the weeds. So Jonathan, you know Jonathan Goldstein, former former this American mm-hmm. Life employee, uh, then went on to do wiretap and now does heavyweight at, at a Gimlet podcast, and um great show. Thank you. And uh, This American Life aired a segment of, of Heavyweight, which was awesome for us. Thank you. And um, when things go on in This American Life, they get tweaked and they get rewritten and parts get rewritten to sort of like serve the, serve the format of the show and the, and the feel of the show. And then he brought back a, a, a packet of mixed notes just because he was, like, so so amazed and impressed. And, and for those who don't know, mix notes are the notes given by an audio producer or an editor about the audio mix itself, not really about the structure of the story, but how the piece sounds. Maybe something's too loud in one spot, or maybe the music isn't right, and you need the engineer to change it. So you give them these mix notes, and it's all the stuff that they need to change. And so, Ira, you gave the mix notes for Jonathan's story that ran on This American Life. And these mix notes are, like, I, I'm holding it, and it's, like, four
1: pages of typed stuff and double-sided. Single-spaced, yeah. single space. yeah, yeah. And it's just, like, yeah, just, like, just read one note. Yes,
0: <laughs> two minutes. Way. Music way too loud. Here's uh, 427, add 0. 0.2 after Let It Go, 433, add 0. 0.2 after Without Question, 442. 2 seconds pause is what that is, yeah. Add 0. Yeah. 0. 0.3 after 12 Angry Men. I'm the one who write those notes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was in a certain way this seems even more like that you're still working
1: at this level of detail on the show how do you feel about this these notes bad and and honestly like right now I'm training three people in to, to do them so I don't uh-huh. have to Like, and so, and so, uh, you know, like I feel like on stories that I feel strongly about, I'm going to do it, but I don't, I shouldn't have to do the entire show every week. Like other people are just as skilled and they can do it. Um, and so, and so, so I'm getting out of that game, like within two months, I should be out of it. Uh Uh-huh. Why, why do you think you're still in it? Bad, just bad management. It just didn't occur to me. Like I can get out of this part too. Like, like, I just didn't get sick of it yet. (laughs) <laughs> like I, like, you know, I like it. I like doing mix notes. Like, I like, like it makes the mixes better. It's satisfying. <laughs> There's a before and an after. It's so much easier than writing or something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like it's a part of the process where you're just sort of like, oh, this could feel better, and it's so easy to make it feel better. Right. And so, 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 like, you know, I like it. It's, it's just like, like I don't know. The best way I could describe like the, what this job is like sometimes is, is like, is like, I got like the greatest restaurant in the world to make me my very favorite meal. But I never am allowed to stand up from the table, you know, <laughs> like, 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 oh, wow. like I have to, I have to just keep eating that meal all the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 One of the things I, I mean, I think I, I've been, you know, sort of like everything I learned about running an organization. Also, in the beginning, I,
1: I learned from you. And that is really awful. Well, because I, I was just guessing. I know. Can I? Can I ask? Like, can I ask? Like, it's it's interesting to me that you say that you learned management like here. Like, what did you learn? Well, th- I learned a couple of things.
0: Part of what my the thing that I've been doing for the last four years is trying to figure out which of the things I learned should I keep and which of the things do I need to are not are not helping or 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 were like sort of like lessons that I shouldn't have learned. The thing that I will always feel indebted to you for is like this feeling of making it feel special, like caring enough about it that other people care. Um, and and I think that's something that I learned from you that you did instinctively. And I think people have worked at This American Life, they, they like you are like a, like a, a complicated boss. <laughs> and yeah, you, sure. and, and, and yet the people who, and yet you've had people working for you for, for 20 years. And right. I think that is because, like, the of your capacity to to inspire. So here's yeah. the other big management question that I'll, though that I have about you and me and what I'm doing and what you're doing. Um, it's these mixed notes, right? So like, uh, you know, these four pages of double sided, uh, mm-hmm. single space mixed notes, and like that, just like that attention. To detail, I I can't decide, and I go back and forth. Like, because part of me was like, I don't want to be that much of a of of a micromanager. I don't want to be that in the business of every single thing that we do. And and partly we're doing a very different thing at Gimlet than than you are. Like, it's it's no, and
1: you can't be. You have like so many shows. But
0: on the other hand, like I went too far the other way, maybe, and like wasn't. Like, I'm probably the—certainly I was the best editor at Gimlet for a long time. And, I'm sure, and, yeah. And, 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 and I was, like, not doing that. I wasn't engaging as much as I should. And so it's hard to know exactly where the right line of engagement is. Like, where do you bring your expertise and focus it? And I can't tell, like, these mixed notes that I'm looking at right now, I can't tell if they are the secret to your success or you're successful
1: despite— the obsessiveness of these mixed notes? Well the answer is obviously both. <laughs> like, like clearly. <laughs> like, like no, seriously. Like the answer is obviously both. You know, like like um like with without without that kind of attention to detail, the thing would not be good enough to be good. Um, but but obviously like there's there's a real cost of doing that. Um but can I but but also can I say like that's why I'm getting out of the mixed notes business. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like that's why, you know, because I also don't see a need to do it, but the mixed notes are a metaphor. You understand? They like, do. The, yes. Like somebody has to do it. Like like at some point, like somebody has to do it. Somebody has to care you know, that much. Yes, of course, of course, it, like of course, like like because cause it's not like um what what we're making is so uh, is so. Uh, you know, like anything that's going to be good. (laughs) Somebody at some point, somebody has to show that level of care for, or it's not going to be that good. You know, like somebody has to consider the whole thing and to consider all the tiny details against the whole and the overall feeling and every detail that leads to that feeling. Like that's, that's, that's making, that's making things, you know, like I wouldn't say art because I don't think what we do is art, but like, but like, you know, like if you want something to be good, yeah, that's what you do. Like that's, 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 that's tough. You know, like, yeah. That's yeah. that's the game, and and that's just as true if you're making a movie or a TV show or writing a book or 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 you know, you know, just a- anything. If you're making, a, or you had a fancy restaurant or not a fancy restaurant, you know, just like just to like, if you're making stuff for people to consume, at some point somebody's got to make it good, <laughs> and and like unless you want to be in the business of making stuff which is mediocre, and like I just don't think that there's a point to do that. I mean, I, obviously, like some people are into that but like you know i just feel like there's enough mediocrity in the world our lives are short you know we can give each other a gift and um let's 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 make it good if we're going to bother to spend the time at all let's let's make it super special otherwise don't do it at all like i don't know yeah, let's be out for fun. Let's let's be out for for let's let's be out for our own pleasure. Like let's 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 be out to to, to make something that'll just be so pleasing to us and others. And that's how it happens. Like it, it's sort of you know you have to have like the the excited feeling at the beginning, but then you also have to have this part too. And they're both when it, when it's going well, like they're both part of the same thing. Yeah. In the in the time we have left, I want to like
0: ask you. Uh,
1: <laughs> Who's do you have a phone ring? Uh, I don't uh, that it's it's
0: my stupid computer. Uh, I didn't know it was on my phone's on. Uh,
1: <laughs> so professional over <laughs> I know. Oh my goodness! <laughs> wow, well, those are your standards. That's uh, fine. Uh, I guess you have your empire running, whatever. <laughs> but, uh, um,
0: uh, you know, like one of the other things that I think about with you a, a lot that I think is really rare is that like you, so you're, you're, you, you have people like me and people like Julie and people like Sarah. Like you would have these people who would eventually, after, you know, it's more than a year, it's like two years or three years really to get us up to speed and be able to do the thing, to be able to like give mixed notes with the same level of obsessiveness or almost the same level, uh, an acceptable level of obs- obsessiveness that it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. And then in my case, I came to you sort of like right when I got good, I was like, hey, I want to do this thing called planet money and I want to be out of the game. And I, and I worked it out so that it would, you know, get... It <laughs> was
1: not right when you got good. You've been good for years. You've been doing, like, super special, wonderful, but really wonderful work for my point years is, at that point. But my
0: point is that you were like, go, absolutely, go and do it. And then when I came in, and I wanted to start Gimlet, I think people, I think about this all the time. Like, I told you I wanted to start Gimlet, and you were nothing but supportive. And in fact, I was trying to like raise money. Well, I I still needed a job. So I was still working at this American life and you let me keep working there. And then, um, but then I was trying to fundraise during my vacations. And then you were like, finally, you came to me and you said, Hey, this, you're not going to be able to do this during your vacations. It's a little bit of a, you're asking me about vacation time too much. (laughs) Like (laughs) how much do you need? Can I just pay you? And then you can go, I'll give you a bonus. And then you can say goodbye and like that, that should keep you going for a couple months. And like, I was like, I don't know, $10,000 and you're like, all right, fine. Like you, you can, I'll I'll write you a $10,000 check as like part of your farewell. And like, and that's just so
1: unusual. Really? That people like the people they work with and wish them well? (laughs) Isn't that normal human behavior (laughs) in a civilized society? (laughs) That, like, you work with people, you like them, you wish them the best, and you want them to prosper because that's so great for for normal people. Isn't that the normal human thing that we do? (laughs) Or are you so far down the road of your (laughs) venture capital that like that if somebody leaves you you have to crush them like mr <laughs> burns like no, you si- I don't like it's not like it's not like i'm running like like th- like i don't even know what it's not like it's not you know what i mean but like, but, not, you, not, but you we're not we're not going to be the two only car makers in america and if like every car you sell i will not sell a car <laughs> like it doesn't matter like, i know i
0: know but but still like weren't you like it is was it an like I, I just putting myself in your position now where i would be like oh my god they were just finally at the point where i could really like depend on them and rely on them and now they want to go was any part of you just like frustrated yeah of course
1: yeah. of course yeah like no like i, I it registered to me that it made my life harder and my show less good <laughs> like i understood that i 100% understood that but I spent a really long time working for other people. I was at NPR for 17 years, working on other people's shows, having my own thoughts about like what I wanted to do. And so like I relate to anybody who's just like I want to you know get out and <laughs> sing my own song, you know like like I just I'm on their person's side just like instinctively and uh, yes, I 100% had a feeling of like this is not good for me. You know, like right. like, like at some level, like Sarah and Julie doing cereal, that is not good for me personally. But uh, b- in my show, This American Life, but in another way, it's much better for me. Because like, t- I don't know, like they would feel weird just staying working for somebody else and for, for this American life for too long. Like they should make their own thing. They shouldn't be working uh-huh. for me. Like in the same thing with you, like, you shouldn't be working for me. Like you have your own stuff you want to do. Like what's the point? Yeah. And so, you know, like, so, and so to say, like, yeah, no, it it was, uh, it was, it was not uh, entirely positive as a, an experience for me, but, but 100%, like, I was really excited for you and, and wanted to support you. And, you know, anybody who feels like they're done doing what they're doing on the show and wants to make something else, that's great. <laughs> like, it seems great. I don't know. Like, like, you know. D- yeah. Well, I wanted to... I- I, I
0: i i don't know if i've ever like it was really meaningful to, to me that
1: you did that no i really appreciate it i'm happy to do it and and i'm really happy that that it's worked out um yeah. and and uh, and to then yeah man do,
0: do you take do you take how much pride do you take in in like
1: what you have begat I mean, it's interesting the last 10 years, like sometimes I do look around and I was just like, this is so much bigger than I, this is like what, like what came out of, of the radio show is so much bigger and different than anything I ever imagined or, or thought I was doing. It's quietly very satisfying to see. Um, but, but I don't think about it very much. Right. You know, um, but, but, but occasionally it'll, it'll hit me. Oh, that's really nice. That that this happened, and that all these nice people who whose work I admire were able to make a thing, yeah, because 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 of this thing that I started. Like it, it's it's hard to talk about because um, because it does occur to me, and it does mean a lot to me, and um, it's unthinkably like like it's just unimaginable thinking about myself in the nineties having this feeling of, like, (laughs) I know this kind of thing on the radio is really, really compelling. Like, I know this is a thing. Like, I I had this feeling before I started making This American Life is, like, there's a thing that radio can do that it's great at, which is telling stories that nobody uses it for. And (laughs) to me, it always seemed crazy. It's the thing the medium is built for that no one does. It's, like, it's as if, like, somebody had viol- the violins existed, but nobody played violin music on them, but just tried to make them sound like something else. I was like, you know what would be really great is if you take the bow across the thing, it's really pretty, you know, and fingered it here, it's like, it's amazing. It's just like, why don't people do this? And like, and then the fact that, that to the degree that, I mean, I have to say like podcasting is still like not the biggest thing in the world, but like the fact that like a lot of people like it, and like, and that like, it, oh, it, like it really is a thing that like other people do it and like, it's it's amazing to think that this thing that I had a feeling of, like, people should do that. And then, like, the people who actually do it, who I don't know, you know, like, <laughs> who don't work for me, like, you know what I mean? Like, I was just like, I really think this is, could be a thing. And then that it sort of became a thing is shocking. Like, that never, <laughs> when does that ever happen? You know what I mean? Like, it's shocking to me. You're not going to do, like, a two-hour fucking episode, are you? Because that's bullshit. Stop editing. Okay. (laughs) Stop stop micromanaging.
0: Without Fail is hosted by me and produced by Molly Messick and Sarah Platt. It's edited by me and Devin Taylor. Jarrett Floyd and Peter Leonard mixed this episode. Music by Bobby Lord. If you left a review, rating, or shared the show with your friends, thank you. Keep doing it. And one final announcement. So if you remember in the very first episode, I said, this is an experiment. We're going to do 10 episodes. We Actually, did 11. And maybe we're going to keep doing it if you all like it. Well, guess what? We're going to keep doing it. People seem to like it. We like doing it. And so we're ending this mini season now, but we are going to be back in February with a much more regular schedule. I'm very excited about that. So stay tuned. In the new year, we will be back with much more without fail. Until then, thanks so much for listening.